Welcome, friends, people for peace, pods of consciousness, planetary citizens, wherever you happen to be today, listening to Glocal News in Social Artistry here on KOPN, your community radio station out of Columbia, Missouri. Glad you're with us. Uh, my name is Dick Dalton. I'm your host for this hour. Uh, each week we have the pleasure of talking to someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out, whatever that means. So today I have the pleasure of uh, making a new friendship, I believe. Uh, I had an email come to me saying that some guy over at Mizzou, uh, emeritus professor in biochemistry, had written a poetry book. And I thought, well, okay, well, we'll see. Uh, turns out, Joe Polacco, uh, Dr. Joe, Dr. Polacco, how do you go? Uh, how do people call you, Joe? It's usually Joe. Even the undergraduates in my laboratory called me Joe. Okay. Well, I, I had a few folks call me Dick. So, uh, but I'm not sure if they were just testing the waters or, or what. But anyway, hey, Joe, <laughs> good to see you. Hello, Dick. Uh, see yes, you. this is really a fascinating uh, opportunity for me because turns out we were born the same year. Um, we both uh, had some history at Mizzou. And uh, even though you are really good in biochemistry and I barely passed the first semester of organic chemistry, uh, I'm sure we'll have some chemistry <laughs> in our conversation. So, uh, so what shall we start with? Uh, why don't we go ahead and highlight your book first, since that was the, the whole uh, idea of, first of all, getting together. And your book is called A Life's Rambles. Uh, and the subtitle, can you tell me the subtitle? Well, it's not the subtitle. It's the actual Spanish version, because the book is, I try to make the book absolutely bilingual. So it's called uh, Ramblas de una Vida. Okay. And uh, so I, I've I directly kind of transmutate. I use the, uh, the corresponding rambles. I turned it into Ramblas, which uh, raised an objection from a, a Mexican colleague because they don't use that word in Mexico. Oh. But, uh, uh -huh. but the, the famous Rambla, you're probably familiar with the famous Rambla of Barcelona. Oh, yes, Mr. Rumbler. No, I don't know him. I'm sorry. Well, it's a it's a rambling boulevard that goes down to the to the beach. Oh, OK. It's a great tourist attraction. It's got all kinds of uh, malabaristas, acrobats and jugglers and 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 small shops, etc. And it's actually in, in that context, Rambla comes from an Arabic term for a dried up riverbed. Ooh, wow, all these so, connections. So it's a sinuous kind of trail <laughs> uh, that uh, that was paved over. At one time, it probably was a riverbed. Mm -hmm. And and my wife is from Uruguay, mm -hmm. South America, mm -hmm. and they have their version of the Malecon. Uh, oh. in, in Havana, you know, the, uh, most of your listeners probably know the Malecon is the waterfront in Havana. Okay. But uh, the waterfront in uh, Montevideo is mostly a river. It's kind of an estuary. Uh, it goes out to very salty water. And it's called a rambla. Am I? Okay. 
It's the Rambla de, de Montevideo, and it's actually the longest waterfront path in South America, at least. I was supposed to spend two years in Montevideo uh, after graduating from SMU. The YMCA was going to send me there as a world service worker, but my draft board wouldn't let me go, wouldn't give me a deferment for that. So I've never made it to Uruguay, and I, I don't know. I, oh, you I, I think I missed something. You would have loved it. So your draft board said this was, well, there was a draft, obviously, at the time. You're my age. And so this is probably... 66. Okay. <laughs> the, the Vietnam era mm -hmm. or era. Mm -hmm. Exactly. They must have given you a deferment for your graduate school. Well, that's a story. I don't want to take up too much of the time about the draft. <laughs> I, was, I was very fortunate. I'm okay. fortunate to be here, to be here alive and speaking with you. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I was in graduate school. Mm -hmm. I just started. I was at Duke. Mm -hmm. And I had uh, a couple of roommates. And one guy was from South Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he said he was definitely going to go. I don't know if he really wanted, but he said he was, uh, was bravado. But he said he was definitely going to go. And a South Carolina draft board. Remember those old draft boards? There were a bunch of people that held their uh, your fate in their hands. Right. So my draft board was in Brooklyn, New York. And when I visited them, they seemed to commiserate with me. I had a family and I was trying to finish my Ph.D. And uh, so I got uh, a student. No, I got a family deferment. I don't even remember. Now. I think it was a family deferment. I tried like heck to get. Uh, what do they call it? A 4F? When you oh, got yeah, it. right. So I, I had a football injury mm. and uh, uh, I went to Fort Bragg. If you don't want, you know, to be, you know, so you've served. So I, I shouldn't talk like an old salt. Uh, but I went to Fort Bragg and, and that experience uh, really convinced me. Cured you. Very material. And so, uh, and my, and the doc, the football doc at uh, my undergraduate school, at, at Cornell had written a very uh, uh, detailed account of the cartilage that, you know, the, the a tear that I had suffered in my knee and so on, so on. So I showed it to the doc at, at, the, at Fort Bragg and he seemed to uh, be sympathetic hmm. with the ailments. And, and so when I went to my next line to hand in his report, you stand around in your underwear uh, you wait in line, you know, it's like if this has to be the military, you wait in line in your underwear. And so I was I read his report and I and I was going through all these medical terminology. And the last sentence was the patient is fit for induction. Ooh. So that got me energized. And that's when I visited my draft board in Brooklyn, New York. The draft board was in Coney Island. In the <laughs> south. Yeah. Because you grew up in Brooklyn. I did. I did. Yeah. I don't know if I grew up, but I, <laughs> I uh, physiologically and biologically matured in Brooklyn. Yeah. Well, this is a we're, we're rambling, right? This is the name of the book. Uh, <laughs> so uh, life's rambles. Uh, and I love the way you uh, brought in so many things already into just the title. I mean, that's fascinating in itself. We've taken a tour of the world and uh, and made connections. And I 
I, I just think that's cool. And, and to tell me now, this book you say is is bilingual. I, I, I have my Kindle version. So I see that you write everything in Spanish, like a section, and then you'll have the same section in English, and then the next Spanish, and then English. So where does Spanish come from? Aren't you kind of Italian? Yeah, I'm kind of Italian. <laughs> that, that, that's a that's a, a a wide open question. Uh, what does it mean to be Italian? You know, uh, if if you study genetics, uh, you, you know that there's much heterogeneity in any population. Certainly. And so I had my DNA done, uh, and I'm uh, maybe in my upper 70s, so I'm I'm definitely Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. I'll get into the name, the Palakla name origin, if you want, later on. Okay. So, okay. So the rest of me is kind of Mediterranean. So my genome has washed on the shores of Crete (laughs) and Greece and (laughs) Turkey and Southern Spain and Northern Africa. But, you know, and then my Italian heritage is like 10 of the 20 regioni, you know, the equivalent of our states of Italy from up north down to Sicily. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of sort of Italian. My wife was born in Uruguay. Mm-hmm. This is Nancy, may we Nancy, say. Nancy, my wife okay. Nancy, mm-hmm. Nancy. And she, uh, her four grandparents were born in Uruguay. Okay. So she's 100% Uruguayan. But if you look at her birth certificate, which is handwritten, it's really wild. It says she was born of Italian parents. So they kept track of ethnicity there. They did a really good job. And it turns out that her genome is richer in Italian sequences than is mine. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, That's what I said. No wonder. Yeah. No wonder. I, I, better, I better be careful, you know, because she's got the, the, the Southern Italian verve and, mm-hmm. and, and so on and, and the Northern Italian muscle. So I just better be careful. Uh, so what does it mean uh, to be Italian? Mm. And if I may just go off a little bit on a tangent, I, I guess I will. I've heard lately that white supremacists like to invoke ancient Greece and, and Rome as exemplars of white superiority. Mm. Uh, I certainly wasn't considered white, <laughs> you know, I mean, like lily white, like waspy white when I grew up in Brooklyn. But Uh, There was an interesting article in Science within the last six months where the folks were able to do a genomic analysis of uh, remains of Romans, you know, bones. Mm -hmm. You know, if you could look at, uh, if you could do a genomic analysis of uh, Neanderthals, you certainly can do it of, of, you know, thousand-year-old Roman bones, of course. Sure. So what they what they found was so interesting and really not surprising was that the the ethnicity, uh, the genomicity, the genome, the genetic composition of Romans kind of uh, changed in parallel to the apogee and then the decline of Rome. So what Rome became an international city. Rome was the capital of the known world. Uh, known to Romans, that is, uh, and and people flocked to Rome. 
Mm-hmm. It's like they flocked now to to New York yeah. or L.A. and God forbid, even to Brooklyn now. That has so changed. <laughs> so it's not so it's not so surprising. Uh, and those folks, of course, left their DNA as well. Sure. So so the the, the upshot is is don't get too proud of your of your genetic heritage. Mm-hmm. We're all a mishmash. We're all a minestrone. We're all a vegetable soup, man. <laughs> and of course, in in this country, there was a time that Italians uh, weren't very well uh, thought of. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No. Don't don't get me started. Don't get me. <laughs> no. It's it's certainly true. I mean, I've I've had uh, people make uh, derisive comments about Italians to me, maybe forgetting that I was Italian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, those were embarrassing moments. Uh, yeah, it was certainly true. Uh, you know, uh, there were 11 Italians were lynched in New Orleans in the early 1900s. I did not know that. Yeah, it's uh, it's in my book. Actually, it's in my novel, uh, Giovanni, uh, a street urchin of Naples. Uh, That's yeah, your sec- the, second book, right? My second book, right. Oh, and I don't have that one. I have your first and your third. I don't have your second. So, that yeah, it'll be interesting. Okay. Yeah, so there was a murder. There was a... Uh, an assassination, I think, of a mayor. And they accused the uh, the Italians. They were mainly Sicilians. Hmm. And I, I'm sure the mob, you know, I'm sure the underworld, secret societies were there mm-hmm. as well. Uh, and so it's a typical lynching scene. Wow. An angry mob stormed the jail and took out these poor folks and mm-hmm. lynched them. Hmm. Uh, and it's it's in my it's in my memoir, but it's you can you can Google it, mm-hmm. you can Google. It. So anyway, uh, I'm I'm not I don't want to get on a soapbox and talk about anti-Italian prejudice. There's too much of all kinds of prejudice. Yeah. But there was a time where uh, being Italian wasn't fashionable. It is now. It is. <laughs> yes, it is indeed, <laughs> because we have you on our radio show <laughs> celebrating your <laughs> your poetry um well it's more than poetry you're you're introducing people i got the sense you were introducing people that you love through your life exactly i mean i didn't i i didn't use uh, my poetry to excoriate people who Mm -hmm. who made my life miserable Mm -hmm. right who i didn't particularly like yeah, no, it's a celebration of of life and and love and. Uh, I couldn't have said it better. Could I could you? Not have... Could could you start with one person, and I'd like to kind of go through some of these different people that have been uh, a part of your life. We don't have to worry about time. I mean, we can we can do another hour if we want to, and 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 go ahead and put it on the air the following week. So you have to take your time with things. Okay, well, if I may, so just let me uh, uh, mention the the four uh, sections of the book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first is love and loss, and so there are people that I've loved, including my mother, but also colleagues in biochemistry uh, <clears throat> and students. The next is places. The third is lab meetings, which basically <laughs> was poetry that I wrote to people in the lab before they made a, pre- a, a research presentation to the lab. <laughs> and the, uh, the fourth is kind of silly, it's nature and nonsense. And it's usually in limerick form. 
but let me uh, uh, let me go to uh, places, and it's mm. a it's a poem called "Kali, You Enchant Me." Oh, yeah. Or uh, "Kali Me Encanta." So Cali is a well-known town in in Colombia, and it's gotten a bad rap, and maybe deservedly so for being headquarters of a cartel, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but it's a beautiful place. Mm -hmm. It pulsates. Mm -hmm. It's got tropical verve and color and heat. The, uh, they picked up the salsa, the dance that is, uh, and they became the salsa capital of the world. And when I was in, uh, you know, maybe some Cubans would argue with that, but or New Yorkers or Puerto Ricans, but but they they those folks can dance. Those folks can dance. And when I was a, I was uh, about 30 years old, I spent a couple of years there. And, and so I and I love to dance. And it was one of the greatest parts of being in Cali. So I, I kind of I equate Cali with a, with a beautiful woman. And, and, and Cali me encanta in Spanish is, is was a bumper sticker. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, so and let me read the English. So and, and I'm, I'm reading this first because I'm proud that I wrote this poem within the last couple of years. Uh, and I, I wrote it on memory. You know? Because it's been long. How long since you've been there? Well, I left in 73, oh. early 74, hmm. the 20, so almost 50 years. Wow. So I, okay, so and, so, and, and let me place Kali. Kali is, is uh, in a valley between uh, the central and western cordillera of the northern Andes. So the Andes split into three ranges, and Kali is, in, is between the western and the central on the Pacific coast. And it's in the valley. It's, it's, it's in the, in the uh, department, departamento, the state of, of Valle, which refers to the valley. And outside of Cali are these beautiful cliffs, treacherous, dangerous, foreboding, but beautiful. Hmm. Uh, and they're called the Farajones, which literally means cliffs in Spanish. And people go up to the Farajones and never come back get lost. Uh, a, a troop of medical students went up there once to celebrate graduation and they didn't come back. Okay. They went on a trek. So they sent a rescue squad and the rescue squad didn't come back. Finally, the students walked out and they reported seeing a, a Bolivian Air Force plane from World War II that had gone down and no one was there. Doesn't it sound like uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or something? Yes, it does. Well, the, the, the rescue uh, team finally did make it out. But uh, anyway, the Father Yones are just, just so impressive. So, Cali, uh, you enchant me. Uh, it, the valley that Cali is in is called Cauca. So, Cauca Valley, valley sultry bloom, Cali, you overwhelm. Admired even by the fierce virgin Father Yones lush cliffs that resonate the passion of your realm, that send Rio Cali to baptize thee in green stone gaze. In your scented breezes, Cali, I am ever stunned. Your landscapes, mountains, and wheelers glacier conspire to crown me. No, I am not shunned. In profusion so fervid, I glow as in your brazier. 
My collie, I explore your myriad streets where the pageant of your women so lively impels me along in a sublime poetic beat. I am disowned by each look, so bold, so spicy. Yea, my collie, you're a mixed madness of volleys, rhythm and aguardiente, then a calm cafecito, a passionate salsa, then the lullaby of the guaduales. Maria's seen as a serene hacienda to the rhythm of Juanchito. Uh, let me just stop here because I'm, I'm using names that don't mean anything to people, but they mean people who are from Cali. And it mm -hmm. would take me the rest of the hour to explain uh, these places. Okay. Like, like the array of your women, you have myriad faces, literary passion, musical melange, and fine arts. Legendary civilizations leave more than just traces. Few other places, colleagues, showing such counterparts. My colleague, your life throbs within each barrio, each a gem in the sun crown of your market, around which life revolves, so saith Galileo, your Galilean galleria whirls my ardent spirit. Kali of, uh, of three, these are places in Kali. Kali of three crosses, cycling the equine cabalgata, Cana Veralejo bullring, Pan Am baseball diamond. Compay, can't find your passion in this royal regatta. May destiny maroon you on a distant bland island. Compay is like compadre. They use it in Cali. They use it in Puerto Rico. Uh, uh, I played baseball when I was in Cali. I played on the university baseball club. So we had a beautiful uh, diamond, and, and it was actually the site of the Pan Am games from 1970. Oh, wow. So I got that in there. So anyway, uh, I realized reading this now that it doesn't mean much to people who, who don't know Cali. And then the Spanish would mean, would mean even less. But uh, it uh, encourages us to look into this beautiful, beautiful place. And before we go on with that idea, I need to say hello to you listeners. Thanks for joining us today on KOPN, your community radio station. This is Glocal News in Social Artistry. Uh, I'm the host, Dick Dalton. And today my guest is Joe Polacco, uh, Emeritus Professor in Biochemistry from Mizzou. And evidently, uh, Joe, you have taught in other places besides Mizzou. Is that correct? Well, I taught in Cali. Yeah. You just read this beautiful poem about Cali, Colombia. Uh, when did you go there and why? I went there right after my Ph.D., my wife and I. Mm -hmm. My wife, Mary uh, Schaefer, and I uh, went there right after our Ph.D.s from Duke University. Mm. remember these were unsettled times we talked yes. about the draft and we talked about vietnam and so on mm -hmm. and protests and uh I, I had done some service work in in central america as an undergraduate two different summers mm -hmm. and so i had this bug i applied to the peace corps and i was accepted uh but i kind of uh chickened mm -hmm. out mm -hmm. uh and i went to grad school instead but uh in grad school, I came across some Colombians, mm -hmm. and I still had this uh, this service value, this uh, international uh, using science, you know, to to help, uh, you know, using whatever talent you had or training to do your part uh, for community development. 
and I met some uh, Colombians and they and they said that they uh, at least one of them said they had Rockefeller Foundation money down there to pay people uh, to raise the level, the bootstrap, the level of science mm-hmm. in Cali. Wonderful. So or in Colombia. So we went. We mm-hmm. went. My wife was really brave because she knew no Spanish. She knew German. She knew uh, French. Uh, and we went down there. And uh, the, the first week we were there, the university was shut down. It was actually taken over by the army because of protest. It was the first year anniversary of the killing of a student in Bogota. Oh. You know, it was uh, frustrating, mm-hmm. uh, scary, eye-opening, depressing, enlightening. But the, the net result of the two years experience, and it, it, we didn't sign a two-year contract, it turned out to be two years, mm-hmm. was really uh, kind of uh, elevating in a way. Uh, it, it helped uh, my understanding you know, of the problems of the third world. And I hate to call Colombia the third world because it has such talented people and such resources. And, and there are pockets of really good science. So that's what we were doing down there. We were, and we were expected, we were faculty members. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't sign a special contract. We were faculty members, just like any other. Uh, we went to our faculty meetings, which sometimes went on and on and all in Spanish. We taught in Spanish. Mm. We advised students. We lived uh, in, our, in our own barrio. Uh, we, all our neighbors were Colombians. Mm-hmm. So we basically integrated and got absorbed into Colombian life. And your wife learned Spanish. Oh, she was amazing. <laughs> she was amazing. I don't know if she ever was as fluent as I became. Mm-hmm. I went down there knowing some Spanish. But she, her, her uh, comprehension was better than mine. Mm. You know, it's, you, you, if you're familiar with another language, you know that different dialects come across differently. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter where people came from in, within Colombia or from the Caribbean to cope with, uh-huh. with people's dialects. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. You mentioned that uh, you'd had a couple of summers in Central America. That would be Honduras, your summers yes. in Honduras? Yes. Uh, as a college student, I, how did... I know my experience. I got to go with a, a YMCA group from Mizzou that actually there was just three of us that went down to Lima, Peru to try to set up a, a YMCA exchange uh, hmm. program. And I was just really a tag along. I, just, <laughs> I had nothing to do with the project because I was going to SMU at the time. But anyway, a summer in, uh, in South America. So I'm a little bit familiar with how students did these kind of things, but yours was much more involved. You were there a couple of months. I was there eight weeks. Yeah, a couple of months. Uh, Eight weeks living in a village. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were uh, the first year, I did it two summers, 64 and 66. Uh, The summer of 64, there were 10 of us. And the summer of 66, there were eight of us. The second summer, I was team leader. Those villages were so different. I, I thought the first was poor, but I didn't. I hadn't seen anything until I we visited, and lived in the in the second village. Uh-huh. And uh, I'm I'm writing. I'm trying to write uh, kind of a semi memoir uh, based on uh, an award winning collection of short stories by a guy named Salvatore La Puma, 
Now that sounds Italian, and it is, but he's from Brooklyn. He was from from my neighborhood. Okay. And he he wrote a book called The Boys of Bensonhurst. He was born uh, 15 years before me. And so his Bensonhurst was even closer to the old country. And Bensonhurst is a neighborhood? It's a neighborhood in Brooklyn. It's a kind of an iconic play neighborhood, you know, uh, Jackie Gleason, you know, the, the honeymooners lived in Bensonhurst and, uh, Tony Manera from Saturday Night Fever, that was in Bensonhurst. In fact, I walked by that pizza place every day to go to high, junior high school. So anyway, uh, back to Honduras, uh, it, it was an experience. You know, you, you, you wake up in Honduras and you wake up in Honduras, you're in a village, yeah. you know? and. And so you're completely absorbed in village life. And we had projects. Uh, second summer, we built a school. Uh, we got to be really, really close with some folks. Uh, there was talk of, uh, there was a military government both years. Uh, so it, it was an experience that affected every one of us mm-hmm. in, in that we, in one way or another, went back to, to work in South America or to work for causes that help Latin America. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably the main reason why I went to Colombia, yeah. because I had this unsatisfied itch, mm-hmm. you know, for the Peace Corps. Yeah. And so it seemed like I could, I could satisfy my, my desire, my ambition to be uh, in science and also uh, a value mm-hmm. to help uh, in development in South America or in Latin America. Mm-hmm. My uh, shock in Lima, which is a city of contrast, but what's in your face is just mile after mile of of the barrios, the, the shacks that they've just thrown together with whatever they could find. No running water, no, uh, you know, nothing that would make you want to be there, but they were coming down from the mountains by the hundreds, even thousands, and just the whole valley from Lima on up to the airport was just filling in with people, and the poverty was just so intense. I, I came back. I was, I was so depressed that my dad signed me up to see a shrink when I got back to Dallas. Just really? the cultural shock of that. Uh, really, because I hadn't seen. Well, I'd sort of seen some poverty here, in, in even in Colombia right down the street from me but it was so small compared to thousands and thousands and I'm sure the poverty you saw in the villages was pretty intense yes it was uh, but even worse than the poverty uh, are the contrasts mm-hmm. because it's not all unending unbroken homogeneous poverty mm-hmm. there are classes Right. And there are some people who live very well. Mm-hmm. And so this tormented my conscience. Exactly. Uh, not so much in Honduras, because I lived in the village. I was immersed in the village. Mm-hmm. And we were able to partake of, uh, you know, of handouts or contributions mm-hmm. from care and other places. But it really affected me in Cali, because here I was a, a fairly well-paid faculty member. Mm. I had a laboratory. 
I had a grant from, I don't remember where the money was from, but I had a grant, I had graduate students, I had equipment, and I was up on the fifth floor of this uh, physiological sciences building, and I looked out and I saw people living in under dire conditions, yeah. in poverty. And I never could uh, accommodate that contrast. Here I am uh, receiving funding from Colombian sources for the most part. And yet there are folks out there who are receiving nothing. Mm -hmm. And I, I had a really good buddy who's still my buddy. In fact, I have a poem in here, mm -hmm. uh, not written about him, but, but of a mutual interest that we have in, in spiders. Uh, <laughs> and we play baseball together, an American. He graduated from uh, Harvard and and then went on to a really good career and stayed in, in South America. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. But I, I would tell him in my, in my moments of, uh, you know, uh, kind of bearing my soul that how could I go on like this, uh, trying to advance my career using resources that Columbia probably could use better, you know, for their own people. Mm -hmm. And his take was Joe, you got it all wrong. We are here to elevate Colombian science. And as the science improves and the technology improves, Colombia will be able to, to do better by its own people. And we can train the, the children of those people. We can train, we can. And so uh, this was good enough for him. And he, 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 he was a fine, fine person. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not saying it's a rationalization. But that's the way he saw his role. Mm -hmm. Also, another difference was that he was an ecologist. And so his laboratory was the, was the rainforest. Oh, wow. So he was there. Huh. You know, all, all he needed was a pencil and a paper, piece of paper and a pencil, mm -hmm. binoculars. Uh, sometimes he'd take cornstarch out with him to the jungle. Now, why? Because he would throw cornstarch on spiderwebs and take pictures of the spiderwebs, you know, oh, visualize wow. them. Oh, wow. So he so he was in this element and he didn't really require that much in the way of resources where here I was trying to do first world, as it were, mm -hmm. research, looking at gene expression in an experimental fungus, you know, so, whoa, mm. I mean, but you can extrapolate from that to looking at uh, fungal diseases of important crops such as coffee and and cacao and so on. Mm -hmm. But there were steps there were intervening steps. Mm -hmm. What was his name? Your his opinion. name is Eberhard. His last name is Eberhard. Uh -huh. uh, he's in the book. The poem is uh, Sexy Miss Bolas Spider. He's very well known. Mm -hmm. uh, his wife is, is better known. Is, uh, she's a member of the National Academy of Sciences uh, uh, of the United States. Mm -hmm. And I just had a wonderful time. It was one of the best experiences I had in Colombia, interacting with these folks, mm -hmm. playing ball with, with Bill, uh, discussing biology and ecology and politics and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, and our children interacted as well. We didn't even know you had kids. Mm. So you had a family. Okay, good, good. And your kids were growing up in Colombia those two years. Well, uh, yeah, uh, we went down with, with one mm. and one in the oven. <laughs> and we came back with two. And one in the oven. Oh, my. Oh, okay. the so Mary and I have three kids. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter is just now 51 years old. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. The firstborn. So, uh, and Bill and, and Mary Jane ha- have, two, have two girls doing very well, and they adopted a Colombian boy, ah. Andres. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, just a wonderful family. And we're still in contact with each other. Oh, good. Well, uh, we're just about to our second break time, so to speak. Why don't I go ahead and reintroduce you, Joe Polacco. This is Glocal News in Social Artistry on KOPN, your community radio station right here in Columbia, Missouri. My name is Dick Dalton. I'm the host. Each week we have a conversation with someone who's building a more humane world from the inside out. And uh, Joe Polacco, who is uh, Emeritus Professor in Biochemistry at Mizzou, uh, had his first teaching career uh, place down in Cali, Colombia, two years. This whole from the inside out is, is really making some application in this uh, conversation, Joe, both that you're in biochemistry and you're looking at the genome of the this particular fungus. You know, that's pretty inside job. But also this, this whole thing of you having an early experience of service that has really shaped in some ways your life. And uh, I I think that's worth noting how important it is for us to support uh, service work for our young people to get out there and experience some other community, some other country, uh, some other culture so that, you know, whatever the mystery and magic is of (laughs) how that plays on our heartstrings and different things, it's important. I think you agree. I certainly agree. I couldn't have said it better. Uh, by the way, did your kids uh, have some experiences like that as they matriculated through life? My son did. My my younger son did. He actually went. Uh, uh, he had a an internship at the uh, Smithsonian Institute on Barro Colorado in uh, in Panama. And, uh, and and interacted with with, with folks. Uh, he also uh, spent uh, did a summer long project in in mountains in South Korea. I mean, it was nature oriented, mm. but it, but it was broadening. It was mm-hmm. it was broadening. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my boys have married uh, Asian American women. There you so, go. So uh, mm-hmm. my younger boy married a, a Filipino gal. Her parents were born in in the Philippines and my, and my older boy uh, is married to a Korean American Mm -hmm. and her parents were born in in Korea. So that's definitely broadening. And they both have made trips back to those places and they have a much better understanding of Asia Mm -hmm. than I do. Mm -hmm. To me, to see so many uh, mashups, so to speak, (laughs) of cultures in families these days is really what uh, enlivens my hope for peace on earth because it's going to take these kinds of awarenesses and and uh, mixing 
I, at least it, that's the way I see it. Do you see it anywhere like that? We have to have hope. <laughs> we have to have hope. I mean, we we have such major divisions, hostilities, suspicions, uh, antagonisms against people from our own culture, but maybe with a different pol uh, political slant. Uh, perhaps we all should go out beyond our borders and find and, and, and realize how much is needed out there and how much how similar we are to each other. In your we're, we're focusing, by the way, uh, folks, on Joe's newest book. It's a poetry book um, called A Life's Rambles, or in Spanish, because it's a bilingual book. And I don't, I don't know how many of these are out there, Joe. How many bilingual books are there where someone could, could actually read a page in Spanish and then the next page would be in English? You know, it's, is this yeah, common yeah. practice? It's not that common. I, I do have on my bookshelf, not behind me, but somewhere in, down here in my study, I have a poetry by Pablo Neruda, mm -hmm. a Chilean poet, and it's uh, got facing pages. So English on the left and Spanish on the right, but the, but the, the English is translations by other folks. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. okay. And so if I may blow my own horn, I wrote the, both the, the Spanish and the English mm -hmm. versions of 28 different poems, and I made them rhyme in both languages. That was amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, so I'm bragging. I know I'm bragging, and, you know, so uh, there's an angel on my shoulder scolding me. But uh, even though I have poetic tendencies, I'm still a scientific nerd, <laughs> and I love a challenge. Mm -hmm. And so I worked like hell uh, to make rhyme and make sense at the same time. And there are some poems I just threw, threw my hands up and said, oh, maybe in my next book. <laughs> so, yeah, so so to answer your question, I don't know how many people yeah. have written poems in two different languages, poetic rhyme in two different languages. Yeah, it's fascinating. If I could ask you about a few people, there's a poem about Tomas. Who is... Tomas, that's uh, Tomas Ruiz Argu let's see, Argueso? Argueso. Yeah, it's, it's such a Spanish name. I love it. I love it. Tomas was such a beautiful guy, and I got so close with him and his family. Tomas was the head of my sabbatical lab in Madrid. Oh, and why were you in Madrid? I was able to do a sabbatical. And so I, for funding, I applied for a Fulbright mm -hmm. and got it. And uh, I knew some folks in Missouri who had good, who were collaborators of Tomas, Tomas Ruiz Argueso. Uh, he works on, uh, he worked on uh, bacteria that live in symbiotic association with plants, mainly nitrogen fixing bacteria. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we grow soybeans, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know japonicum, you know, we, you know, well, we we grow tons of soybeans. We fix lots of nitrogen here. Uh, Brazil d uh, grows lots of soybeans, and they try not even to put nitrogen fertilizer down. They just count almost 100% on symbiotically fixed nitrogen. So we had this commonality. And and I, I had some really good colleagues in Missouri who knew Tomas well. Hmm. And so I, 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 you know, I did some some intelligence work. 
and uh, found out that it was a really good lab and he was a really good guy. And so I wrote to him and then he did the same thing. He asked about me. And so the intelligence reports we got back were, mutual, were mutually encouraging. And I, sh I had never been to Spain. And uh, I showed up and it was just a beautiful relationship hmm. from the first day, scientifically and personally. And I got to visit Tomas's hometown, his ancestral home in northern Spain for Semana Santa for Holy Week. And I got to visit his wife's ancestral place down in Andalusia, oh. where they had an olive grove. Mm -hmm. And I got really, really close. And I, and I, and I, I visited him uh, several times after. We served together on, on PhD committees. We got, we got together at meetings. He came to Missouri mm -hmm. and said hello to me and to my, uh, and his other collaborators, just a beautiful relationship. Uh, and then suddenly his wife passed mm. a couple of years ago uh, I'm blanking on the disease, but I didn't realize it was so, it was so fatal. And then he was an early, he, Tomas, he had some medical problems and he was an early victim of COVID. Oh, wow. So it was a tremendous loss. Mm. And, uh, so I felt like I should write a poem about, you know, so he went into my love and loss section, mm. he and Carmina, his wife. Mm -hmm. And I, I felt like I, you know, it's, I'm stepping on sensitivities. I got really close with his family. Mm -hmm. And you want me to write a poem about your father? Mm. In I, English, I could do, but in Spanish, <laughs> you know, and using uh, Spanish of Spain. <laughs> and uh, it took a while, but uh, his youngest, his uh, younger daughter, he has two girls and a boy. Uh, we, we were really close. Uh, and then she moved to Brooklyn, and I, got, and I saw her a couple of times. In Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Great. Yeah, she was a very successful architect in Brooklyn. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, she gave me the go-ahead, said, said, please, it's beautiful what you've written. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I have to say this. I, I didn't want to write about anybody. I've written about colleagues and so on. I didn't uh, students. I didn't want to write about anybody without their permission. Oh, mm -hmm. but without the permission of their survivors. Mm -hmm. So I feel good about that. So that's Tomás Ruiz Argüeso. Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, he he was so uh, inimicably Espanol, Castellano. He was so Spanish, uh, but such a beautiful, warm-hearted guy. And he was a great fan of Real Madrid. And there was no, you know, there was no way I could be a fan of anyone else. Uh, so, and we, uh, so we had wonderful times together. He, his family and and me, and it was just beautiful. And then my uh, my my kids visited at Christmas, and he was just great to them. So, about what year was it when you went over there? Ah, uh, let's see. Uh, it was uh, oh, it was. Uh, I left just before nine eleven. Oh, wow. so 1999 to spring uh, 2000. Mm -hmm. When was 9/11? It was 2001. 2001. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it was 2000, 2001. Mm -hmm. Had you met Nancy yet? I had met her. Yes, I had known her. I had uh -huh. met her. Uh -huh. uh, I I was married to my first wife. Mm -hmm. uh, we divorced soon after I came back. 
and then Nancy became a, a larger part of my life. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. was a real transition time in many ways. I mean, here we not only 9-11, but your sabbatical time, your relationships. Uh, yeah, really. Yeah, it was. It was 9-11. And uh, no, it was uh, definitely tumultuous. You know, if you think about it, if you condense those things, mm-hmm. those events. Yes, for sure. If you don't mind, uh, as a New Yorker, how did 9-11 affect you? Well, it very much affected me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't measure my, you know, my, uh, the shock, the blow, uh, you know, to myself, to my persona compared to that uh, of others, of other folks, of fellow Americans. Mm-hmm. But I think we all felt it. I'm sure we all felt it. Uh, you know, the, the loss of life and the loss of the life of, uh, of first responders, mm-hmm. especially firemen, yeah. you know, who just run up those stairs without mm-hmm. thinking about possible consequences. Their goal was to save lives. Right. And those poor folks, those poor victims, you know, up there who were obliged to jump, to jump, mm-hmm. uh, uh, so, yeah, it very much affected me. But there were positive. There, I mean, I don't know how you could say positives. But one outcome, I, I think we've squandered all the good, you know, a lot of the good stuff, a lot of the good that came from that, so-called good. Uh, but it made Americans think better about New Yorkers. I know that's trivial. But... Uh, Interesting point. I hadn't ever considered that. Hmm. Well, you know, I I was a teacher. I came here. I came here uh, 42 years ago and I was teaching right away. And I was much more Brooklyn then than I am now. I could talk like this, you know, I talk, you know, I could come up with a a wisecrack and put you on the fast foot down. So so students didn't particularly appreciate this New Yorker Mm -hmm. uh, coming and talking fast making wisecracks, which they took the wrong, many took the wrong way. Uh, and then turning around, year, uh, you know, 20 years later, and, and you know, and seeing New York and New Yorkers as, as, in, as part and parcel of America, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so that was one of the things that came, came from that. I'm, I'm a New York Mets fan, by the way. Don't turn off the radio, folks. I'm a New York <laughs> Mets fan. And um, some of my best friends are Cardinals fans. Uh, but, uh, you know, that, that, that was like a cultural divide, you know, uh, a different country, you know, uh, they're going to secede from the union. So, so <laughs> yes, so 9-11 had that effect. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I lost, uh, well, I almost lost relatives. I went to Cornell with a guy named Eamon McEnany, nice Italian name, right? Eamon McEnany, uh, who was a wonderful athlete. He was an All-American lacrosse player. And I saw him play uh, wide receiver uh, for Cornell against Yale at the elbow. I I lived in New Haven for five years. He was a great athlete, a great guy, a talented guy, and he was lost Mm. in the the towers on 9-11. 
Wow. So, you know, so you feel that, you know, you feel it. Uh, I had a, I have a cousin who didn't go to work that day and he would have been a goner. Yeah. Yeah. He would have been a goner. Uh, so, and I'm sure there are folks, my, my mother, uh, could see, she lives in, she lived in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. uh, in South Brooklyn. So fairly far from South, you know, from the, the towers, uh, she could see a little, uh, half burned memo pad you know pad pages floating down oh my goodness you know oh my goodness. out there on the, out there on the street wow uh my cousins my very dear cousins uh <clears throat> uh live uh, lived well they still do they they spent half the time in florida half the time in uh in lower manhattan they were so taken by this they were so affected and they're world travelers they didn't get on a plane for probably 10 years mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh in fact they didn't even they got a phone call they were in their apartment in lower manhattan right by the williamsburg bridge and Oh, it was at the Queensboro Bridge. Anyway, it was a bridge that goes, to, <clears throat> I think it was the one that goes into uh, Williamsburg. It was a Williamsburg Bridge. Uh, they got a phone call from Germany, from a friend in Germany. And the friend says, turn on your TV. Oh, my. Mm. And they didn't have to. All they had to do was look out the window. Oh. You know, they were that they close. They were that close. They were that close. My high school... Uh, I went to high school on in Lower Manhattan. It was called Stuyvesant High School. Uh, they moved. They got a brand new building, and they moved to real close to the to the World Trade Center. And so, uh, the, the, I'm sure the kids there were just traumatized, absolutely traumatized. They set up a morgue in that high school, which of course they didn't have to use because everybody was incinerated or one way, you know, carbonized or whatever, volatilized, however you want to say it. Uh, but yeah, uh, I make those connections and, and I went back to my high school reunion in 2002 and I wrote it here. I wrote it up here, uh, my trip back to, uh, to New York and I, and my, and my pilgrimage, my solo pilgrimage to the, uh, to ground zero. Mm -hmm. And, and it, it definitely, uh, it definitely affected me enough, emotionally enough for me to actually write a poem. Mm -hmm. Is it? something we could close the show with you reading that poem i was gonna i was thinking of closing the show with something more lighthearted about <laughs> a, a spider i, I could, maybe i could do both or i could do okay l let me read that one uh, the one about i like it better in spanish but uh anyway it's my mother defiled mm. <clears throat> i might get emotional here <clears throat> good News from afar, a never-ending remind, uh, reminder of the pain emanating from my mother's heart. From tribulations lashing, I cannot unbind her. To console you, dear mother, how can I take part? A chorus is raised from the barrios of your man, uh, manger. Mixed wailings of the common blood of your shelter but the dagger has not put your treasure in danger. Your grand heart beats still. I am not in hell's dread. 
Yes, I speak from outside, your prodigal rebel. But at last I approach, though not without fear, to offer my help, or, my, or am I truly unable to be part of your healing? Hate nowhere near. My brothers <clears throat> and I of waves without end gathered about your skirts torn asunder. We swayed in a waltz to a bittersweet violin, dancing with 3,000 victims of plunder. Mother, your towers now be great twin cathedrals, ghosts that watch over your sacred wound, a crowded void with a legion of sentinels. Each sacrificial spark is to my life a great boon. And your twin shadows did truly illuminate our unconquered spirit, so enduring and defiant, toward but stone and steel that did disintegrate and raised in the miasma your profile, loving and pliant. Mm. So, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Mm. Well, Joe Palaco, you big heart, you. <laughs> I, I got some, I got some ribald stuff in here, too. <laughs> yes, I know you do. Uh, I think we're going to just close the show with that, if it's okay. And, and I'm going to ask you to come back. For next week, oh, be happy to be happy because to. we haven't talked about your mom, Vina, very much, and and Africa, and you know, lots of things in your life, and and uh, I'm I'm just quite fond of you, so <laughs> I want to <laughs> I want you to come back, uh, Joe Palaco, emeritus professor of biochemistry at Mizzou, author of a new uh, bilingual Spanish English poetry book called A Life's Ramblings and however you say it again in Spanish. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being with us. And folks, remember, wherever you are, that is your world. So please leave your world cleaner, more peaceful, and more loving than you found it, because if it is to be, it is up to us. Take care and talk to you soon. <laughs>